Genesis 35, verse 28. These are the words of God. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and he was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to gather together and study your holy word. Pray that you would come powerfully and wonderfully by your spirit and enliven our hearts and our minds so that we would adhere to the things that are said here today in your holy word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So last week we concluded our sermon by, um, as we concluded our sermon, we began to look at Isaac's life. And if you remember, Isaac was the promised seed, the one through whom Abraham would become an heir to the world. And Isaac is continuing the story that began back in the Garden of Eden, where God determined to bless the world through Adam and his children. And we saw last week that that story continued with Abraham and his family, and before that, Noah and his, and right on back to Adam. And God had promised Abraham a son to keep this thing going, and Isaac was that son. And last week, we saw Isaac being born. Shortly thereafter, God comes back and he tells Abraham that he wants him to sacrifice that very son, the son that he had promised uh, through whom he would become an heir of all things. And this was a test of Abraham's faithfulness and obedience to the word of God. And Abraham was willing to offer up his son as a sacrifice, the son that was promised to him, Uh, And while he was in the act of doing that very thing, God intervened and said that he had proved himself to Abraham. So we see Isaac's life kind of got off to a rough start. (laughs) Fifteen or sixteen years into it, his dad's already trying to sacrifice him. But one thing that Isaac should have learned from all of this is that you are to obey God no matter what and that God keeps His promises. God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son in their old age through whom the world would be blessed, and Isaac was that son. He was the living, breathing testimony, the proof that God keeps His promises. But yet, still, at the end of Isaac's life, he enters into a time of Rebellion, just as Abraham did, if you remember last week. But this is at the end of Isaac's life. So what happens after this? Interestingly enough, Isaac's life follows the same pattern as Abraham's. Isaac is tested in the very same way that Abraham was. Isaac is called down to Gerar, just as Abraham was. He's forced to go there, and then... Again, he runs into a Philistine king named Abimelech. Most likely, this is the son of Abimelech that Abraham dealt with in his story. And once again, Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, deceive this pagan king and make him believe that Rebekah is his sister, just as Abraham 
deceived his father into believing that Sarah was his sister. And when Abimelech finds out by a work of God's sovereign grace, uh, he decides to bless Isaac and Rebekah, and he protects them, and he says that nobody could touch them, and so they prosper as they go on out into the land as a result. Uh, The text actually says that Isaac had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines were actually jealous of him. So again, it's the same pattern. Uh, God comes and he makes a promise promise or a covenant with Abraham. Then immediately he comes back and he tests him. And then as a result of his faithfulness and obedience, God blesses him. Same thing with Isaac, same story all over again. And again, as I said, just like Abraham, Isaac has a little bout with rebellion. Um, He had learned to deceive tyrants from his mother and father, um, that is, uh, to protect the chosen godly line when they went into a pagan land by lying to these kings, and he does it well. But at the end of his life, he enters into a time of disobedience. Um, he actually becomes the tyrant himself. This is to say Isaac begins to act like a pagan king, and he persecutes the promised seed Jacob. And as a result, he has to be deceived by the godly women in his life. So the situation is reversed. It's flipped. And now Isaac is the one doing the oppression. So what happened? How do we get here? Abraham sends his servant to find a a wife, excuse me, for um, his son Isaac in his homeland because he doesn't want Isaac to take a bride from the pagan land of Canaan. And so the servant goes there and he finds Rebekah and brings Rebekah back home and Isaac and Rebekah are married. Shortly thereafter, uh, Isaac begins to pray for Rebekah because Rebekah is barren, just like many of the other women throughout Scripture. Um, As a result, she conceives and she actually conceives twins in her womb. And we pick that up, if you have your Bibles, in Genesis chapter 25. You can follow along with the story. Uh, Verses 19 through 28. Genesis chapter 25, verse 19. We read, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armean of Padan, Aram, the sister of Laban, the Armean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples are from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. 
When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. God says here in this story that the older will serve the younger. And who is the younger in this instance? Who is uh, the child who came out last in this story? Well, it is Jacob, right? So God gives a prophecy from the very beginning that Jacob will rule over Esau, his older brother. And when they are born and their lives come to fruition, this is exactly what we see happening. Now, why does God do this? God is continuing the story of the chosen people with Jacob. He's raising up Jacob as the one man through whom he is now going to bless the world. Not Esau, Jacob. They're brothers. He chooses Jacob over Esau to do it in his sovereignty. And Isaac knows this, right? Isaac knows what God has said about Jacob. Moreover, afterwards, we have the story of Esau selling his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. You may remember the story. Esau comes in from hunting game, and he's very dramatic. He says he's going to die if he doesn't get something to eat. And Jacob says, I have this bowl of stew here. Give me your birthright. Sell me your, trade me your birthright for it. And Esau says, what is my birthright to me? I'm going to die anyway. So he gives Jacob his birthright in exchange for the bowl of stew. And most likely, Isaac knew about this exchange as well. So Isaac knows God has promised to bless Jacob and to continue on the family line through him. And he knows that the boys have made this exchange of birthrights. But yet, in our text today, we see that Isaac is still willing to try and defy the plan and the purposes of God. He loves Esau. He loves to eat of his game. Isaac liked to have him a a fresh deer once in a while, and Esau was able to provide that for him. Esau was a hunter, and so he was able to provide him some fresh game whenever he wanted it. Isaac knows his son Jacob is the promised seed, as I have said. He knows that he should be blessing Jacob instead of Esau and giving him the greater portion of the inheritance because God has determined to do so. You see, in the ancient world, usually the older son would receive a double portion. They would receive the greater blessing in the household. But God in his sovereignty has decided to reverse that order and give the blessing to Jacob instead, and Isaac is to get in line. Isaac is to get in line with the will of God. So what happened to Isaac here? He allowed the desires of his flesh to control the decisions he made. Here we have another Garden of Eden type scene. If you remember back to the Garden of Eden, there are two trees that both provide food. One is forbidden and the other is not. Here we have two sons who can both provide food. One is forsaken and the other 
is not. It's not as if Jacob could not provide food for his father if he wanted it. The text says that Jacob was a tent dweller. That means he managed the household. He was a household manager, and so he managed the flocks that Isaac had in his household, which we know from the stories prior. He was a blessed man, became very rich in flocks and herds. And we know that Jacob was able to go and get a goat from the flock and give it to his father if he wanted, because he does that later on when him and his mother, Rebecca have to deceive him. So it's not as if Isaac couldn't get food from his son, Jacob. He just preferred Esau and his food over Jacob and his food. He liked fresh meat. He liked the fact that his son was a hunter and that he could go and get him some fresh meat whenever he wanted. What he should have done is realize that God had promised to bless Jacob and told Jacob to go and get him some food. And when he got back, he could have bestowed the blessing on him as he was supposed to in the first place. But no, he desired the forbidden fruit. Just as Eve saw that the fruit on the tree was a delight to the eyes, Esau and his food was a delight to Isaac. He allowed his fleshly desires, his carnal instincts, to control his life. And as a result, he despised Jacob, and in doing, he was seeking to overthrow the plan and purpose of God. So what do faithful, godly women do throughout Scripture um, in order to protect the family line, in order to ensure the covenant blessings? Well, they practice deception. When a righteous woman is backed into a corner by a pagan king or by a tyrant or by an oppressor, she lies to him in order to protect the line. She deceives him. And again, we said last week that the tactics of the enemy had been reversed in the Garden of Eden. The devil lies to Eve in order to deceive her, and throughout the rest of Scripture we see holy women lie to the serpent in order to deceive him. Apparently what happened here was the devil got into the ear of Isaac and convinced him that he should oppress Jacob. Why would the devil want to do this? Well, if if the devil can convince Isaac to bless Jacob... Instead of Esau, he thinks that he can short-circuit the plan and purpose of God to destroy evil in the world through the promised line. But God will have none of it. Enter the ministry of Rebekah. Rebekah is a righteous and godly woman who has paid attention to the plan and purposes of God, and she is determined to see them carried out. She is a faithful woman, and she is to be commended for her faithfulness to the covenant of God. We, we see here in our story today, we'll read just a moment, that Rebekah heard Isaac make this promise to Esau to bless him instead of Jacob. So she's there, and she kind of overhears Isaac saying, oh, I'm going, I'm going to bless you. Just go out and get me some game, and when you get back, I'm going to give you the blessing. So Rebecca hears it. If you look at Genesis chapter, uh, 20, chapter 27, verses 1 through 5, the first part of chapter 5, we see that. Listen to this first part, verse 1. 
When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke this to his son Esau. Now, we know from the story, if we look down in verses 36 through 38, that Isaac determined to give all of the blessing to Esau in this particular instance. He wasn't going to leave any for Jacob because when he accidentally, in quotations, ends up giving the blessing to Jacob, instead, Esau comes back and he wants, Jake, or he wants Isaac to bless him and he says, I, essentially, I don't have any blessing left for you. I gave it all to Jacob. So Rebecca understands very well what is happening here when she hears Isaac tell Esau that he's going to bless him. And so she acts quickly. And Rebekah and Jacob come up with this elaborate plan to deceive Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing instead. If you look at 5b, where we left off, so when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. Excuse me. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, "Um, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. 
And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord is blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So Rebecca puts her life on the line here, if you noticed. Uh, Jacob is worried that his father might realize that he is um, his brother Esau and that the father may end up cursing him instead of blessing him. And Rebecca says, don't worry about that. I will take the curse upon myself. Just listen to my word and obey my voice something to that effect, and do as I tell you. Rebecca's a truly righteous woman here. In her, we can see a type of Jesus who was willing to lay down his life for the sake of the covenant. Let's finish up the story. Verse 30, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, When Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted the game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even me also, my oh my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even Uh, Even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his his yoke from your neck. Okay, so the seeming blessing that Isaac offers to Esau here at the end of the story is no blessing at all. 
The way that you receive blessing is by joining yourself to the covenant people of God, not by breaking away from them. So if Esau breaks Jacob's yoke off his neck, it's not going to do him any good. So this is no blessing for Esau. Two things I want to point out about this story. First, you cannot thwart the plan and purposes of God. Even in your sin, God is establishing His will. Who was the one that said the older would serve the younger from the very beginning? Well, it's God. And of course, the deception uh, and the rebellion doesn't catch God by surprise. God knew that Isaac would rebel, and God knew that uh, Jacob and Rebekah would deceive Isaac into giving him the blessing. So God had determined this thing to be this very way from the very beginning, from the, from the start. There's no overthrowing the plan of God. You can't turn back his hand when he purposes to do something. That is exactly what he is going to do. And even when we think we are undoing the plan and purposes of God, or we think other people may be undoing the plan and purposes of God through their wicked deeds and their wicked actions, um, they are actually establishing God's plan and his purpose through these very things. And we see that in the story. So that's first. Second, God had a plan from the very beginning to use the righteous deception of Rebekah to bring Isaac to repentance. That is, he wanted to shake Isaac up a little bit and bring him to his senses so that he would realize what he had done and put the blessing in the right place, which is exactly what we see him do in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 28. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. There's that original dominion mandate to be fruitful and to multiply. He's bestowing it on the son Jacob now. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Ram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Armean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. So it's through righteous deception sometimes that God brings men to repentance, to you know, use it to shake them up and to bring them to a realization of their sin. You can think last week of what God used um, Sarah and um, Abraham to do in deceiving Abimelech. And when God comes to him in a dream at night and realizes, and uh, Abimelech realizes what he has done, God says he's going to kill him. He repents. I think there's actually repentance that takes place there. And he decides to bless uh, Abraham and Sarah. And then we see it again here in our story this week. Jacob and Rebekah deceive Isaac. And then Isaac comes out of his sin. He comes back and he blesses Jacob. And we'll see later on in our story that Joseph does it to his brothers. He deceives his brothers they think that he's the, the king of the Egyptians. He's essentially Pharaoh's right-hand man. And they come up and he deceives them into believing that that's who he is. He disguises himself. And they are also brought to a time of repentance. 
You think of the story of David later on, when David has um, uh, he, he commits this uh, um, adultery with Bathsheba, and then he has her husband killed to try to cover it up. And then Nathan the prophet comes to him, and he tells him this false story about this little lamb to wake David up. He says, you are the man. <laughs> uh, when David realizes what the man in the story had done, and then he says, you're the man, and he repents the sin. And even the Lord Jesus Christ, later on, on the road to uh, Demaeus, Emmaus, he disguises himself and makes the disciples believe that he is somebody else so that they might come to realize who he really is. We see this throughout Scripture. The deception that Rebecca practices here is a righteous form of deception. She's not breaking the commandment that says you shall not bear false witness. That is to do harm, to try to destroy your neighbor by lying to them. She's not doing that. She's trying to build him up. She's trying to bring him to repentance. Uh, a couple more things that we can learn from the story overall. We saw that Isaac knew what the will of God for his children was, and yet he did not bring himself into conformity with it. Isaac knows the will of God for his children, but he's unwilling to bring himself into conformity with it. And how many times do we do this? We know what God's word has said. We know what God's will for our lives are but yet we want to go the other way. We know what God's Word says on this particular issue or that, but yet we go our own way. Cornelius Van Til used to say that, um, we quote it, the Bible is authoritative on everything of which it speaks. Moreover, it speaks of everything. (laughs) This is to say that the Bible has something to say about every single aspect of your life and everything that the Bible says says is authoritative, and therefore we are to submit to it, whatever the case may be. God has revealed his will to us in the covenant. He has given us certain stipulations and guidelines by which we're to live our lives. He's revealed his plan and purpose to us for the world, and we're not supposed to try to fight against it. The longer that we are warring against God and his program, the longer we are going to not make any progress in our own lives. You won't make any progress in your sanctification and your life as long as you're fighting against God. You'll always find yourself at odds with God's plan, and therefore you'll be at odds with God. So what must we do? We must determine to obey God's will for our lives and for the lives of our family members by looking at what His Word says about each and every aspect of our lives and then bring ourselves into conformity with it. James 5 tells us that the effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much. What does that mean? What does it mean he's righteous? Well, he's upright. He has an upright relationship with God. He's brought himself into conformity with the will of God for his life, and therefore his prayers get answered because he's praying according to the will of God. Um, If we want our prayers that we pray and the decisions that we make to be successful, we must order our lives according to the plan and purposes of God of God. We've got to get in line. And again, God is working out his will in the, in the world regardless of whether or not we decide to bow the knee to it. Isaac decided to serve himself, and yet God still worked out his plan and his program through his wicked actions and decisions, but not before smacking him upside the head a few times first. Right? So let us not be like Isaac. Right? We don't want to be like Isaac. We don't want God to always have to smack us upside the head a few times before we get in line 
with his will, but we want to obey him from the start. But again, God can accomplish his will anyway. And whether that's through our rebellion, which has negative consequences in our lives, or through our obedience, which brings about blessings, we must choose. Finally, we saw that Isaac allowed his natural desires to control the decisions that he made. He preferred Esau over Jacob. He preferred Esau and his food. He liked his game. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying good food and the finer things of life. I think these are good things, and they are blessings from God. But when we allow them to consume us such that they become our idols, then we have gotten ourselves into a dangerous place. Let me explain. Idolatry is when we... um, We take something and we put it in the place of God. We prop something up over God and we allow that thing to consume us. Our lives begin to revolve around that thing, whatever it may be. And in America, we are consumers. It's very easy for us to to do this sort of thing because we love our stuff, right? And we want as much of it as we can get. And this is dangerous because many times the things that we desire begin to take control of our lives to the point that we're willing to deny God for the sake of them. And when we want more and more and more, we become more and more deaf to the voice of God in our lives, and this is idolatrous. Or sometimes we can allow our job or our career to take precedence in our lives. We honor, we show more loyalty to our job than we do to the church of God, or maybe it's our family members and our friends. We don't want to offend them, and so therefore we're more loyal to them. We don't want to bring up things that are controversial, things that God has spoken against, even when they are talking about them in our very presence. And this is idolatry. But I think the biggest way that we can enter into idolatry today is by doing the very thing that Isaac did here, which is trying to create a world of our own in which the plan and purpose of God does not matter. In America, we battle this rugged, individualistic mentality, right? Um, I'm the captain of my destiny. Nobody can tell me what to do. I make up my own rules. I'm my own man or I'm my own woman. You hear this sort of thing a lot. My body, my choice, right? The only thing that you need is love. If it feels good, do it. Right? Even one of our own most recent presidents said that. And this, um, there's a lot of this self-aggrandizing, self-exalting uh, way of thinking in America today, and it is the root of the problem. We are creating our own world with our own standard. Um, and trying to live an autonomous life apart from God and apart from the world that he created. And when we do this, we are warring against God. We're warring against his purpose and his plan. So brothers and sisters, Christians, let us remember that God has set up the world and he has ordered it in such a way according to his covenant, and we must bring our lives into conformity with it, We cannot create our own reality in contradistinction to the one in which we are living. Because in the end, God has determined to relate to us by 
way of covenant. He has set up the rules, the guidelines, and the stipulations by which we're to live our lives in this world. He reveals everything that we need to know right here in Holy Scripture, and he's working out his plan and purpose in time and in space. And God will accomplish his will regardless of the decisions that we make, as we saw today in our story with Isaac. If we refuse to hear his words, as Isaac did, we, we will be disciplined. And if we don't repent, in the end, we will be rejected. But if we hear the words of God, and if we obey them, we will experience the blessings, the fullness of the blessings of the covenant in this life and in the next. Let's pray.